We're glad you're here this morning. If you're here for the first time with us, or if you're here for the first of a few times, or maybe you've been here for a long time, and you're not a member, you've never filled out one of these cards, do that for us this morning if you would. All we're going to do there is try and put you in touch with information. We're not going to show up at your house unannounced or even announced, I don't think, unless you wanted a visit. Um, it's really more connecting you to the life of the church or what's going on. One thing that we've learned about church is it's not meant to be anonymous. You're not, ideally, you don't just come and go without people knowing you and you not knowing anyone else. So this is an opportunity for us to get to know you a little bit. There's also a little place on there where you can um, put a prayer request if we can be praying with you or for you about something, a, an event in your the life of your family or something you're struggling with, let us bear that burden with you. It would be a privilege for us. And then later on in the morning when the little offering bags, satchel things come by, you can drop it in there. Um, let's start this morning with prayer. Um, oh, let me make one more, let me say one more thing about, about our uh, encouraging our visitors. If you're here for the first time and haven't picked up one of our little packets that we prepared, then I invite you to do that. Uh, you can see Clay Petzold after the worship service in the other building. There's a little welcome table there where you can grab one of those little packets. It tells you, you really kind of in a bag will give you really everything you need to know about who we are at first glance. You know, really, ideally you get to know people. But when you get want to know what people believe, what's going on in the church, that's a good resource there. There's also a little blessing in there to treat you to lunch. It's a Chick-fil-A, so it's not going to happen today. You have to go another day of the week chick-fil-a's all kind of close on sunday let's pray god we are thankful for our time this morning i'm thanking you in advance for what's in store and how we spend this time uh, before we pray some some specifics about how we spend these next few minutes lord i want to uh, lift up another church and the leadership of another church i want to pray for c3 and commerce um, praying for david ferguson Kevin Tibble and Ron Perrone. Um, Lord, I just want to lift up this church, lift up the, this leadership of this church. And first of all, I just want to say thank you for their faithful, steady movement. I'm thankful that they are being the church in a context that makes for a lot of turnover with college students as they come and go. I'm thankful that C3 has a view to the impact that they can make on a young man or young woman in three or four years of school uh, as they come alongside them and equip them for a life of worship. I'm thankful that C3 has a burden for the nations, uh, that they realize that they are uh, bumping elbows with the nations at uh, A&M Commerce. Lord, I'm thankful for a real brotherhood um, with David and Ron and Kevin, and I pray, Lord, that you will foster a real connection with these guys as we look to the future and look at church planting um, in these next few months um, and potentially hopefully more of the same in the coming years Lord I pray for a real network of like-minded pastors like-minded churches that are encouraging one another coming alongside one another that are helping one another expand your kingdom. Lord, I, I beg for that. I'm thankful for what has happened in C3, and I'm thankful anticipating what's in store uh, with church planning and Crosspoint and C3 coming alongside. Lord, also this morning, I want to uh, pray 
um, I want to pray for myself and confess right now that I have a, just a tinge of caring a little bit about wanting to impress this morning. And I just pray that you'll put that to death. I pray that you can find a messenger, um, a watchman, attentive and ready and standing and delivering in the next few minutes with your word, with clarity. Uh, and I pray that the word will be honored. I pray that it will be heard. I pray that your people will be equipped. I'm so thankful for this journey we've had in Hebrews and excited about how we'll spend these next few minutes as Hebrews comes to a close. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13. You're going to need your Bibles this morning. If you're one of those that says, you know, I'm kind of more of an audio guy and you don't like to see or you don't connect the things that you need to see or things that you have in front of you, I encourage you to grow in that area because I, I'm going to take you to some places this morning in the Word where you'll need to see what's being said there. You'll need to see what's unfolding and I encourage you that if, if you didn't bring your Bible, there's probably one in the seat bottom in front of you, and you can grab that Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, you can have that one. But you'll need it this morning. Hebrews chapter 13. A large portion of our New Testament is made up of what are called occasional letters. Apart from the Gospels, nearly every part of the New Testament, except for maybe Revelation, are occasional letters that are written in response to a problem or a situation in the lives of the recipients, usually a church. It might be an individual, but usually in our New Testaments, we're talking about a church. In the case of Hebrews, this letter was written to a church in crisis. It was written, we believe, either by a guy that planted the church or a guy that was shepherding the church to a church that we've used the phrase over and over again for the last almost four years, to a church that was on the bubble. A church that was considering bailing on church and going back to synagogue. Apparently it was really hard to be a Christian in the con context of the Hebrews letter. We believe they were in Rome, so you're going to face a tremendous amount of pressure from Rome if you're a Christian, where, wherever you might live in the Roman Empire. But worse than Rome were the Jews in persecuting Christians. So the Hebrews preacher and pastor wrote this letter, which is really a sermon, to a church that is about to trade their birthright for a bowl of soup. He's burdened. He's urgent. You're going to hear some of that this morning as we come to a close nearly. This isn't quite the last sermon. The last sermon will be next week as we considered the benediction. But the nature of an occasional letter is tricky because sometimes making sense of the occasion is difficult. In some ways, as we have an occasional letter in front of us, we have the answers, but we don't have the questions. We don't know exactly what led to the occasion. We can sort of piece it together through most of our occasional letters, but it's not always clear. We have the answers, but not the questions. So we have to sort of work backwards to make sense of the problem. And one of the things that we're going to deal with this morning is we're going to deal with leadership. Because where we are in chapter 13, given the airtime that leadership gets in chapter 13, beginning in verse 7, 
all the way through 17 and then continuing on with where we are this morning, it appears that leadership stuff is important to this preacher and it's critical to this church that they consider what's being said. What's said here in 7 through 17 and then where we go this morning appears to deal with the relationship between the body and the leadership dealing with, as I said, an occasion where this relationship is strained. As we're working backwards, dealing with the answers, trying to make sense of what questions we're looking at, it appears that this relationship between leader and church, or leaders and church body, was strained. The word for the day, I like a new word, it's just a parking place for a new thought, is the word antipathy. Apparently, there was some antipathy going on between the church and the leadership. There was an aversion antipathy toward leadership. When I was looking up the word antipathy, the little example that was used on my little app on my phone, because I like to learn new words, and I want to make sure I'm using them correctly, was this guy, Bill, had antipathy toward cats. It's pretty funny. Anybody else just have cats really near and dear? You can understand antipathy toward leadership. In this case, I've followed long enough and I've led long enough to know that antipathy and aversion toward leadership or angst toward leadership is not uncommon. It would be uncommon to find a place where it's absent. Leading anything, whether it's a church or whether it's a family or anything in between is difficult. And frankly, what may be as difficult or maybe even harder is following leadership. It's not just leading that's hard, but following is hard. This morning is going to equip leaders and the led. So we'll have some good insights for us in these next few minutes. We're going to look at a couple of different sections of Scripture. In some ways, we're doing cleanup around the benediction this morning. We're going to look at verses 18 and 19, and then we're going to look at verses 22 through 25. And all I'm going to do at the first part of the message, this is sort of a map for the morning, the first part of the message, we're going to unpack the furniture in those passages, or unpack the luggage. I'm going to point out the furniture. And then the second and third part of the morning, we're going to look at two ways to apply what's been unpacked and exposed here. So let's begin verse, first with verse 18 and 19. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this, pray, in order that I may be restored to you sooner. Now, what's going on in this passage? A little bit of the furniture here. The furniture stuff's going to be pretty expeditious. I want to get to the meat in the application. But first, what's going on here is he's commending their leadership are his leadership, it appears there because he's referring to a we. He's commending their movement and their leadership right off the bat. And we don't know what he's actually commending there. He may be commending the whole letter that's been written up to this point, saying I have a really good conscience about this whole 12 chapters worth of letter that I've written to you. He may just have a really good conscience about being away from them for the time being. Maybe he's planting a church. Maybe there's something going on. We don't know exactly what he's referring to. He may be referring to this ministry to the Hebrew church altogether, saying, I and we, the leadership, have had a clear conscience about how we've led this church. It appears, though, that he's speaking of the letter. 
I have a clear conscience about what I've written to you. I feel really good about my motives and my conduct in writing this letter to you, this Christ-centric letter to you. He appears to be commending to them his movement in this letter. And he's doing that to a church that appears to have resented either his leadership or leadership in general's movement. And wisely, right off the bat, he asks for prayer. This may be the wisest part of the whole letter, at least in terms of leadership. He's asking for prayer, knowing that praying for those you're struggling with, leaders included, will soften your heart toward who you're praying for, inevitably. Now, there's no way of knowing what he's referring to here in terms of restoration. He's urging them, begging them to pray for him earnestly begging for these things in order that he may be restored to them the sooner. We don't know if he's imprisoned. We don't know if weather or finances or some other circumstances are keeping him from coming back to wherever this church may be. We believe in Rome. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's money. What we do know is it sounds like this shepherd is eager to be with his people. He's begging them urging them to pray earnestly that he will be restored to them the sooner. He clearly believes that God is sovereign or he wouldn't be begging for this prayer. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. Now the furniture of verse 22 through 25. Bump down beyond the benediction is where we'll go this morning and we're going to pick up in verse 22. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation for I have written to you Briefly. Now, I hope you appreciate the irony there. We spent, I heard a choke over there. We spent almost four years in Hebrews, and he says, I've written to you briefly, so that apparently y'all are paying attention and appreciate the irony. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. First of all, he says, I appeal to you, brothers. He calls them brothers, a beautiful picture of gentleness and warmth, yet he is firm, urging them earnestly back in verse 19 and appealing to them here. He doesn't command them. He urges and appeals to them. It sounds like, too, as he is really burdened for the situation in this church and burdened for these people who are in crisis. Referring to them as brother and brothers tells us that he loves them and he cares about them. And he appeals to them to bear with my word of exhortation. Word of exhortation was shorthand. It's used other, other places in our Bibles for as a reference to a sermon. Bear with this long 11 now or 12 now 13 chapters worth of sermon. He says briefly, it would have taken about an hour to read the book of Hebrews, the letter, as they received it by hand or however it was delivered, Pony Express, whatever would have delivered it in that day. It would have taken about an hour to read through the thing. So you can understand how he could say briefly that we're going to have an hour's installment in hearing this letter. What took us almost four years would have taken them an hour. Now, it would have been processed beyond that. They would have considered the connections that he's made throughout the book to the Old Testament, to the rest of the story, to the story of the nation of Israel. It would have taken some time to process what he said to them 
Now, he refers to bearing with it. Actually, I'm going to save that for later. We're going to come back to that. He references Timothy, which tells us that he is in some way a contemporary of Paul. Some people believe that Paul wrote the letter to the church, to the Hebrews church. It doesn't look like Paul to me. It doesn't sound like Paul to me. But we can know for sure that he in some way is a contemporary of Paul, as he mentions Timothy here. And then in verse 24, he says, those who come from Italy send you greetings. Over the course of the last four years, I've said over and over again, we believe this church is in Rome. There's some indications here that this this passage helps make sense of that. It suggests that the writer isn't actually in Italy at the time, but is writing to the Rome church saying, everybody from Rome says hi. Little clues like that that'll help us make sense of the context. Now, while we don't have the questions again, we do have the answers. And what seems to be a theme drawn from these remaining verses has a lot to do with leadership. And here are some things that we can draw from just pointing out the furniture. This leader misses his people and wants to be restored to them. He loves them. This leader has a clear conscience regarding his ministry to them. This leader begs for prayer from them. And this leader urges them to listen to a message from him. So the second part of this morning, I want to just consider that church leadership needs prayer. Church leadership needs prayer. If you want to go back to the passage we're going to be looking at mostly, it's in verse 18. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this, pray, in order that I may be restored to you sooner. This verb tense here, the handling of this verb, it's an imperative verb. He is literally begging them to pray for them. If you want to know what it sounded like audibly, it would have sounded like this. Please pray for us. Burdened. It's urgent. And in his case, he is asking for prayer with a henna clause in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. He's serious about prayer and serious believing and trusting that while God is sovereign and that God has decreed when he'll actually be restored to them, that it could actually happen sooner through prayer. He's apparently not a fatalist. He believes that prayer works, and he's urgent and burdened, begging for it from his people. As I considered his tone, as I considered the context dealing with what may be going on behind the scenes, some sort of antipathy toward the leadership, I wondered, man, who else has asked for prayer over the course of these occasional letters? And over and over again, we see Paul begging for prayer from his churches. Apparently, it's a theme in occasional letters where leadership asks for prayer. What I want to do in the next few minutes is I want to consider a few of those examples from Paul. I only have a few places for you to turn this morning, and these are some of those places. Ephesians chapter 6. Go ahead and turn there. Here's some pages. Ephesians chapter 6. 
If you want to jot down or be ready for these next two passages, Colossians 4 and 2 Thessalonians 3. What I've reminded myself of this morning as I've prepared for this moment is I've reminded myself that I'm equipping you as I've been called to do as a gift given to the church. I'm equipping you for something this morning. And I'm equipping you for something that you may not realize you're called and expected and needed to do. And that's praying for church leadership. So let's look at Paul's requests for prayer beginning in Ephesians 6. Verse 18. Up to this point in Ephesians 6, he's encouraged them to put on the full armor, the belt, the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the helmet of salvation, the sword. And in verse 18, he says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Turns out everybody needs prayer. Okay, that's a good thing. And then he goes on, he says, and also for me, pray for me for two things. And they're indicated, noted by that's. Pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. And here's the second that, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. That words may be given to me, God provided words, and that they may be boldly proclaimed. Paul's asking this church for prayer for God provided words and bold proclamation. Let's look at the next one, Colossians 4. Colossians, the next book in the Bible, or actually it's two more, Philippians and then Colossians. Colossians chapter 4. Remember, I'm equipping you for something. If you're not a note taker, I encourage you to take some notes because if you're going to be equipped to do something, if you're being asked to do something, it's nice to remember what that is. Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us. This is Paul and his planting team. Pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Here Paul is asking for prayer that they would pray that there would be an open door for the word as this church planting team is moving forward and that he'll make it clear as they go. That he'll make the message clear as they go. These are some good things to pray for leadership. I hope you realize you're being equipped to pray for your church leadership, that we would have God-provided words, that we would boldly proclaim the gospel, that there would be an open door for the word, and that we would make it clear, that God would make it clear through us. Good things to pray for, for your leadership. Go ahead and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. This is the next one. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 25, Paul just says, brothers, pray for us, just in general. But here with the Thessalonian church, he gets a little more specific in chapter 3 verse 1. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. 
and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. Here he's asking the Thessalonians to pray that the word will speed ahead, and this is a big one, and this is really the last part of the morning is how we're going to spend it, that it would be honored. Praying that it would speed ahead, that it would be honored, and then the other thing that he prays for is deliverance from evil men. If Paul's requests here If we can join those noises, those sounds in with the Hebrews' preacher's request, if they might help us amplify the Hebrews' preacher's request for prayer, then we can see that church leadership in the first century is asking for God-provided words. 2,000 years later, I'm begging for the same thing. God-provided words. Secondly, clarity of the message. And the third, that the message will be honored. God provided words, clarity of the message, that the message would be honored. I'm equipping you for something this morning, and I'm asking for this from you, for your church leadership. And in families, you can be praying this for the shepherd of your family. For God provided words, clarity of the message, and that the message will be honored. I'm not really content with just leaving it at Paul's few examples here. I want to ask for a few more things while I'm at it. I'm going to take some liberty and ask for a few more things when we're talking about how you could pray for your leadership. Remember, I'm equipping you for something that you may not know that you're needed to do, that you may not realize realize is important. So here are a few other passages. You can jot these down. I'm not going to have you turn here unless you're like sword drill warrior and you really want to. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do your best, he's writing this to Timothy, Do your best, Timothy, to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That's a great thing to pray for your church leadership, that we would respons- responsibly wield God's word. Sometimes you're wielding it as a sword, and sometimes you're wielding it as salve. And to know when to use it in what case. To wield it appropriately, responsibly, as a worker approved. That's a good thing to pray for your church leadership. Colossians chapter 4 verse 6 is another one. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I cannot tell you how often I have that desire. Lord, I want to know how to answer this person. I want to know how to deal with this situation. I want wisdom in walking these next few minutes out in a way as if Christ were here. I beg for those prayers from you. That our, our words would be seasoned and gracious And our counsel would be salty. That's a great thing to pray for in your leadership. James chapter 1 verse 5 has another one. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. We could insert a word in here. We're not going to rewrite scripture or anything. But given what we're talking about this morning, dealing with leadership, I would say if any of your leadership lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Please, please pray for your leadership. 
from family to church, everywhere in between, pray for wisdom. That is a good thing, and it will profit you praying for wisdom in your leadership. This would be time well spent, like praying for the pilot of a plane that you climb on and sit down with you and your loved ones. Man, I know, I know how graphic that illustration is right now. And it's graphic on purpose. Pray for your leadership like you're praying for a pilot of a plane you're about to climb on with you and your family, praying that he is alert, praying that he is attentive, praying that he is capable, and praying that he is not depressed and suicidal. It's graphic on purpose, people of God. Your leadership needs prayer. 2 Timothy 2.21 is another reference. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. That's a good thing to pray for your leadership, that they will actually be a holy bunch of dudes. That their lives will actually reflect the message. And that as being set apart as holy, that we will be useful in his house, that we will be ready for every good work. I beg for those prayers. Leadership faces the same potential for defilement that you face. The same potential for defilement. And when it happens, it affects everyone like when it happens to the pilot of a plane that everybody is on. It impacts everyone. The last thing I'll ask you to pray for while I'm at it is in reference to last week's message. Last week's message just dealt with two verses, verses 15 and 16 in Hebrews chapter 13. And the guys that are really good at studying Hebrews believe that these two verses in some way capture the entire book of Hebrews. And what was asked for there was through him, through Christ's work, two things. That we would offer the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, the vertical response of sacrifice, and the horizontal response of sacrifice, that we would actually be good to one another. (laughs) That we would be really good, loving people that are sharing life with one another. Not just sharing our stuff, but sharing our time, sharing our affection, sharing our devotion. I beg for that from you, that you will pray for me, that I will be sacrificial in my movement as an elder, and as a father, and as a husband. Because I can find economy quick. I'm good at it. Anybody else? Anybody else gravitate toward ease and economy of effort? Anybody else have a cruise control on their faith? The message from last week is there's no place for that. It's an appropriate response to his sacrifice is that we are sacrificial about our vertical praise and our horizontal love for one another. Boom. Pray for that for me, please, because I love economy. I can make a beeline for it. This Hebrews preacher, Paul, we can add in there. And this preacher this morning, beg for prayer. The cool thing is he's about to pray for them in the benediction. So he's asking for prayer for everybody. But he gives them a specific here. Paul gives some specifics, and I give you some specifics. This guy sees God as sovereign over all of it, and I'm asking for prayer this morning, agreeing that God is sovereign over every bit of it. 
that God has decreed how things will go, but that something could happen sooner or something could happen better through your prayers. I'm not a fatalist either. So I'm asking for your prayers. Following frail leadership is going to take prayer if you're going to do it faithfully. And being a frail leader is going to take prayer if it's to be done faithfully. The last part of this morning is going to deal with leadership needing to be heard. Leadership needs to be prayed for and leadership needs to be heard. This goes to verse 22. It's where we're going to spend these next few minutes. In verse 22, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I've written to you briefly. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation. This word appeal and exhortation in English don't don't even look like they're even related. But in the Greek, it's actually a pun. The Hebrews preacher was punny. Who knew? He's using a pun for emphasis here so that they would pay attention to what he's asking for in the middle. In the Greek, what he's saying here is parakalo, parakalesis. I'm appealing to you to hear my appeal would be a direct translation. And the word that's in the middle is bear. Bear with my appeal. I'm appealing to you to bear with my appeal. This word bear means to suffer with my appeal, to esteem my appeal. You remember earlier in the morning I was saying Paul was begging that the word would be honored as it goes out. This is what he's asking for here. Bear with it that it is esteemed, that it is suffered. There's a great passage that will help you make sense of this. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's the last place I'm going to have you go this morning, but it's an important one I want you to see. A lot of times when you bump into a word and you go to the Greek language, you know, you can go to a definition to help you understand what the Greek means. But what really rounds it out a lot of times is looking for how it's used elsewhere in the New Testament. In some cases, in the Septuagint, the the Greek Old Testament. But this is a beautiful example of a word that's translated differently in the English, but is the same word in Greek. It's going to help shed some light on what the Hebrews preacher is asking of this people right here. 2 Timothy chapter 2, or 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. Paul is telling Timothy, he says, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Sounds like a sword and salve and everything in between. Be a workman approved. For the time is coming when people will not endure. That's the word I'm talking about. It's translated differently in English, but it's the same word in Greek. There's going to come a time where people are not going to endure or bear with sound teaching anymore. Having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Paul is making Timothy that promise. And he's encouraging Timothy. Timothy, it won't be about your message. Because your message is still sound. But there's going to come a time where people will stop bearing with it. Where people will stop esteeming it. Where people will stop enduring it. He makes him this promise. Man, I wonder if it's the people that are under his charge at the moment. 
I wonder if being new believers, if they're just lapping it up, eating it up, but then there's going to come a time where, ah, love grows cold. Ears grow deaf, where endurance and esteem fade. Some other words that may help us make sense of what the Hebrews preacher is asking for here and what Paul promised Timothy that was going to happen is the word hearing it, processing it, chewing on it. These are my words for what he's asking. He's asking, hear this message, process this message, chew on it, gnaw on it. Jesus, in John chapter 8, verse 31, said, If you abide in my words, you are truly my disciples. That's another word that came to mind. Abide in it. Bear with it. Esteem it. Endure it. Suffer with it. And another phrase that can aptly be be applied to it is respond to it. A.W. Pink says, No doctrine is rightly understood unless it affects our walk. It doesn't matter what you have up here if it doesn't affect your hand and your head and your feet and your schedule and your priority and your lives. You haven't heard it. So this Hebrews preacher is begging them, bear with it. Hear it. Abide in it. Chew on it. Respond to it. Think about what he's written over the course of these last four years of study. He's written to them some seriously strong warnings combined with some seriously strong truths about who Christ is and what he has done. And it seems that he is deeply concerned that they don't miss it. I was thinking too, man. I know that nothing's new under the sun, that these people are the same is true yesterday, today, and forever. People haven't changed. What are some of the things that might keep them from missing it? There's some of the same things that keep us from missing it. Some of the things that might keep them from missing it are the word of the day. Antipathy. I don't like the preacher. He's on my nerves. He's hurt my feelings. I don't like how he says something. I don't like what he said. I don't like how he moves. Antipathy is a great thing that stands between you and actual hearing the message. It's why, honestly, I work really hard at cleaning up messes. I make messes, by the way. Any of you that have been around long enough? There's some people smiling because they know they've been on the receiving end of some of my messes. But why do I want to reconcile with you? It's because we're having the supper on Sunday. That's one. And two, if I don't, you're going to have a hard time hearing the message that next Sunday. So if I've made a message with you and I don't know it, please let me clean that up so you can hear the message. Antipathy gets in the way of you hearing the message. Another thing that gets in the way of you actually bearing with it is negligence. Negligence, just not being attentive to it. Just, and maybe it's connected to the next thing, busyness. Just being plain old busy and distracted. It makes me think of Matthew 13 where the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word and it doesn't find purchase and bear fruit. He said that's the nature of the kingdom. I think it's the nature of people. And then, of course, as we learn from Second Timothy passage here, That people not endure sound teaching but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Maybe it's just your own passions that get in the way of you actually hearing and enduring and bearing with the truth. For passions are indeed connected to your ears. They can make you numb to what's truly great. 
There's a few possibilities. This is one that really struck a chord with me. This is maybe one of my biggest issues. One of the things that keeps me from hearing it. Things that stand in the way for me. Maybe we may not hear it because it's not something new. John Calvin, in his commentary on this passage in Hebrews, said this. He said, probably he records the word exhortation. That's, I appeal to you to hear my word of exhortation. He says, probably he uses this word exhortation for this reason. Listen to this. Though men are by nature anxious to learn, they yet prefer to hear something new. Rather than to be reminded of things known and often heard before. Anybody else just sound familiar? If you know yourself well enough to know that you really like something new, well, maybe that can keep you from hearing something old that you needed to hear newly. Maybe it can stand in the way of something that you really needed to engage yet again. Maybe this is part of the human problem. I was talking with Scott about this earlier in the week. He said, oh, that sounds like the Areopagus. And sure enough, listen to this passage in Acts chapter 17. And they took him, that's bringing Paul, they brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. They weren't interested in the gospel. They were interested in hearing something new. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Maybe that's a human problem. Maybe it's not just the Athenians and the foreigners. Maybe it's also Ben McGraw. I have to admit to you, I love preaching a new truth. I love it. I'm giddy about preaching a new truth. Scott and I and Brad a lot of times brief a sermon before I preach it. We do the same when they're preaching. We talk about it beforehand. And it's like a theme with Scott. Man, I'm really excited about this because it's new. Or I'm, this is kind of, we've kind of been there. We've kind of done this. Wah, wah, wah. Man, I confess that to you. I love something new. And then when it's something old, we already know that. I struggle with it. And what occurred to me this week as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about my own tendencies. I was thinking about the cherubim and seraphim. That's probably where you're going right now. You think, what about the cherubim and seraphim? You're probably not. The cherubim and seraphim, listen to what they do. According to Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. They never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, who was and is and is to come. They say it over and over and over again. Apparently, they never cease to say it. I was thinking about the cherubim and seraphim, and I was thinking, thankfully, they're not human, or they want to add something new to it. Put some flourish in there, you know, a little pizzazz. (laughs) Getting a little tired of the holy, 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 you know, just over and over again. Let's add some new verbiage to it. They might bore of holiness like Israel bored of manna and quail. 
Oh, that we could be like the cherubim and seraphim, living in, singing about, enjoying over and over and over again, and never ceasing to say about the excellencies of Christ, so that while we may enjoy a new truth, we don't make it an idol. Man, these boys, the Athenians and the foreigners, they're familiar to me. Are they to you? You get excited about something new and yawn at something old and true and potent and robust. Man, bear with the message because it doesn't change. It can't and it won't. So we bear with it. The Hebrews preacher encouraging them to bear with his word of exhortation also tells me that the message drives the ministry of this church. I looked to and fro in the book of Hebrews. I looked, man, I'm looking at the front, looking at the back, looking everywhere in between, and I don't see anything in there about budgets. I don't see anything in there about bulletins. I mean, the Hebrews preacher's not telling them, y'all need to put together a better bulletin so people don't go back to the synagogue. I don't see anything in there where he's dealing with some of these things, these programs, signage, announcements. It's void of building plans and church growth strategy. Completely void. As what we might call strategy. You know, those things are all fine and good. They are. They're important. And there are some behind-the-scenes stuff that goes on in the life of the church. But a church on the bubble, let me tell you this, does not need a revitalization strategy or 40 days of purpose. A church on the bubble needs to know what Christ has done for them. They need to be taken back to the excellencies of Jesus Christ. They need to be reminded that we have the perfect high priest who offered up himself once and for all as the final sacrifice. They need to be reminded that trading that out for anything anything else is soup. That's what they needed to hear. A church on the bubble doesn't need a scheme. A church, really any church for that matter, needs watchmen. Jot this passage down as I read it to you. Read it later. Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Listen to this passage. This is new treasure for me. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. Whenever you hear it, you better say it. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Man, a church on the bubble and a church period needs a watchman that's going to bring it. And it needs a people that are going to esteem it a people that are going to bear with it, a people that are going to suffer it, a people that are going to endure it. I was standing at the back this morning while these guys were up here leading worship, and I was emotional back there, looking around at all these people, knowing this is a hungry people. 
man, I want to affirm this church. I want y'all to know this, this, is, this is like nothing I've ever seen, the appetite, the corporate appetite in this people. Y'all hear the message, but this is something we can be reminded of because we gravitate like gravity toward, remember, economy and efficiency and busyness and the cares of the world are always around us trying to draw us right back in. We can use this reminder to listen and bear with the message. At times, I am overwhelmed with the desire to ping the body. Whether email or, I've done that before, a ping. Sending out a little sound. Is there anybody out there like a submarine? Ding! Where it just goes out through the water. And if it bounces back, you know there's something out there. There's sometimes I want to ping the body. Is anybody listening? Is anybody hearing the excellencies of Jesus to the point where it is invading your Tuesday, where it is invading your message, where it is informing and equipping your movement? I have to really examine myself at times like that, where I just have this overwhelming feeling to ping. I have to examine myself to search out why. I want to make sense if it's a pure desire or if it's just I need to feel useful. Every man probably needs some of the latter. Sometimes I just need to feel useful, so I, I don't want to ping you when I just need to feel good about myself. But there are times where there's a deep appeal to pay much closer attention, as the Hebrews preacher encouraged in chapter 2, verse 1. Pay much closer attention to what you have heard. Where he encourages here in chapter 13, verse 22, bear with this message. And I couldn't help but think of Paul's reference about his own preaching, that he calls it the folly of preaching. That God has ordained, that he has designed, he has planned, that the folly of preaching is what he's going to use to save his people. If that's what's behind the ping, then I'm going to ping. I need to know what's going on in you, what this message is doing. This watchman needs to know that it's being bared with, that it's being suffered. And I have to confess and admit to you, I get concerned when I don't hear from you. I realize, I remember the first time I ever encouraged the preacher, first time I had the guts to, this was a church in South Carolina where the guy stood by the door as we all left and just shook hands, just the coolest guy. I did that for the first time last Sunday. It was so hard for me, but I want to start doing it every week. Because it, it matters. It's good. It's being good. He was good about it. It made me think of him. But I told him one day as I'm leaving, I'm shaking his hand. I was like, Pastor, I really got a lot out of that sermon. And I said, I don't want you to get the big head or anything, but I really got He said, wait a minute. I'm not going to get the big head. Now, he wasn't that emphatic. He's more reserved. But I'm thinking, I'll say emphatically. The preacher won't get the big head if you say that you got a lot out of the message because the preacher knows where it came from. It makes much of him and his work in preaching through the frailty and folly of preaching to save his people and to grow his people and ready them for eternity. It's like a chef cooking a meal every single week with people come and go. That chef needs to know from time to time how that family how that person has been nourished. I'm going to tell you right now, the feeling of it all being folly can be overwhelming at times. It can even be smothering for Ben McGraw. 
and hearing from our families from time to time about what God is doing with the preached message helps you put your hiking boots back on where you'll climb right back up the mountain next week. You know what? I'm going to do it anyway. But I'll tell you, it's helpful to hear how God is using the message in your life when it comes time to strap those boots back on. The feeling of it being folly is a very human feeling. And the leader and the preacher will be smothered by it at times. You can help with that. I need to know that the message is being heard. This leader needs to know that you're bearing with the message. If there's antipathy, please let me deal with it. Please let me clean it up. Let's keep an honest, short account with one another. That's a good thing to do because antipathy happens. If it's negligence, busyness, or just the passions of the world, then wake up with sleeping Sardis, the church in Revelation. It was asleep. You need to wake up and bear with the message. If it's the passions or the cares of the world that are always on you, forcing you down like gravity, you need to break free of that and realize this is probably the most important time that we spend together. It is the the only time, apart from Wednesday nights, that we spend together. This may be the most important equipping time for us in the week where we come face-to-face with ultimate reality every single week. We have to stiff-arm the world long enough to hear it. And if you're struggling with, well, it's not new enough, then I encourage you to destroy that idol. Enjoy some old truths newly. Church leadership, I'm just going to tell you right now, needs prayer, gobs of it. I beg for it. With him, I beg for it. And secondly, church leadership needs to be heard. Bear with the message. It's not going to change. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I'm so thankful for this book. Obviously, this entire book, but I'm thankful for this book of Hebrews that has done so much for us as a church. That has equipped us in ways to see and understand what it means to worship what the anchor of our soul truly is, I'm so thankful for these realities that we've had the chance to connect to over the last four years of Christ as our high priest, as he being the final and perfect sacrifice for us. Lord, I pray that we will bear with and esteem and honor and suffer that message. God, I pray it's something that we will wrestle with and wrangle with to the point where it will impact our marriages. I pray that it will impact young people as they're growing up and trying to make sense of what life is all about, that they will see this as ultimate reality. God, I'm praying for men in this body that are stretched and strained and pulled in so many different directions with the cares of the world, demanding work schedules, physical stuff that we just all face, sickness, our health issues, money issues. Lord, I pray that ultimately these truths will be the thing that inform and shed light on all of those things. 
God, I pray we will be a people and continue to be a people that bear with and suffer with the message. Oh, we love you so much, Lord. We are so thankful. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, says this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Let, let me prepare you for something. I know there's kind of a, inevitably, there's sort of a kind of a shuffling where we kind of situate ourselves for the supper, and that's all good. You can move. Nobody discouraging you from moving. But I just want to make sure that you're attentive to what, to this old familiar truth that we engage every week. That you don't need something new. So you miss something that's good and old. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What I'd like to do this morning is I would like to join the cherubim and seraphim who never cease to say, holy, 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 is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come, who never cease to say that we, as often as we eat of it weekly for us, that we will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. They never cease to say that we never cease to eat. That we're okay with something old and good and true. That we never tire of proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. We don't need a new thing. We just need this wonderful thing. We're thankful together for the manna and quail, the bread and the cup. We're good with that. We'll bear with that. We're going to distribute the elements, and I invite you to take the bread and the cup if you are a believer. If you're not trusting Christ, if you don't believe that your sins were paid for by him, and if your life has not been placed as an offering in response, trusting him as your Savior and Lord, this meal's not for you. But if you are believing that, man, I encourage you, this ultimate reality, to make a beeline to the table. It's old and it's good. Let's distribute the elements.